we continue working through these psalms, and we're now on this one. If you look there at the heading of the psalm, it says, to the chief musician. A lot of people believe that is speaking to, to God, as to the Lord. Other people believe that means an actual musician or choir leader. Um, you'll see there li- listed as a name, Jeduthon, who was a, a worship leader that David had set apart there in the Old Testament. And so, of course, David wrote this, this psalm, this prayer, this song, and um, has some great truths, I think, for us tonight. I've entitled this uh, message, Hope and Despair. Hope and Despair. Let's look at the first three verses, and then we'll make some comments. I said, I will take heed to my ways, that I sin not with my tongue. I will keep my mouth with a bridle, while the wicked is before me. I was dumb with silence, I held my peace, even from good, and my sorrow was stirred. My heart was hot within me, while I was musing the fire burned, then spake I with my tongue. The first thing out, the first point I'll bring out to you tonight as I read these first three verses is David is talking about staying quiet, which I think is some good advice for a lot of us a lot of times. <laughs> if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say nothing at all, or just I always tell my wife, you know, it's for all of us, it's probably a good idea to talk less, because the more we talk, the more we get in trouble, and so that's for me, not her, of course, just me, but as we, let me, get, let me move on from there, as we look at this point, here's what I want you to see in that verse, he says, um, I'm not going to sin with my tongue, but watch the last part of verse one, while the wicked is before me, and so I, what I see from David here, I think, is he's, he's saying, I don't want to complain about what God's doing in my life in front of unbelievers because that might make God look bad or that might make God look like a bad father. If I'm just always complaining about life and what's going on and they're like, well, if that's how he's talking about his life, then his God must not be very good. His God must not be very strong. And so we don't want to sound like we're doubting God. Um, And again, especially in front of unbelievers. And so I, was, I listed some things here. What are things that we complain about? Um, weather, right? Now that's kind of a simple one. And I wrote this down, and we discussed it a while ago, by the way. Restaurants, <laughs> I complain about those a lot. Um, health, and these are more serious. Health, relationships, finances, or work, or jobs, church, politics, all types of things we can find ourselves in a conversation throughout the day complaining about. And the warning I want to give us is, even if we don't mean it to come off this way, if we are constantly complaining in front of people who don't know Jesus, that's not a very good testimony for us or for the Lord. And so we want to make sure that we act in a way around unbelievers that expresses that we trust God. Instead of saying, man, I wish it would stop raining every day, we should say, hey, thank God for the rain, right? I mean, we could use a little less, but thank God for the rain. Or it's just so hot out here. Well, Thank God that we get to experience another day in general. You know, we need some warmth sometimes. So this is something I just draw from this, this verse 1, especially as he says, I want to make sure I'm a good testimony before the Lord. I don't want to make, I don't want to make God look like a bad, bad father or appear to be a bad father. Um, and so as I was kind of making these notes, I thought, man, that's easier said than done, isn't it? 
because we all are at times have weakness and we all have unbelief at times where we don't believe in the Lord like we should and we don't trust him like we should. But every time I am, every time I refuse to be content with what the Lord's doing in my life, that's a temptation to hinder someone else's view of God. And I don't ever want to do that, do I? I want, I want to point people toward Christ, not away from him. And I know that's your heart as well. Um, I wrote down a few promises from God. In Hebrews, he said, he will never leave us, nor what? Nor forsake us. In Romans 8, he says, if God is for us, who can be against us? The next verse in Romans 8 says, he who did not spare his own son, but freely gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And back in Romans 8, 28, it says, God works all things together for our good, right? Do we believe all those promises? We believe them. And so when we, when we complain in front of others, we are, in a sense, denying the truth that we just proclaimed that we believe. And we want to make sure we do not do that. So what do we do? If we can't complain, <laughs> what do we do? One answer, I think, is to, if we have to complain about stuff, and I mean serious things in your life, take it to another believer, right? Obviously a spouse or a close friend, but take it to a believer because as believers, we know that though we're born again through Christ, we also have weak moments and weak times. And so I hope you all, and I know we do, have those believers in our lives that we can take issues to. But what does David do? And this is even better than that. He takes it to the Lord. Verse 4. He takes his thoughts to God in prayer. Lord, make me to know mine end and the measure of my days, what it is, that I may know how frail I am. Behold, thou hast made my days as an handbreadth, and mine age is as nothing before thee. Verily, every man at his best state is altogether vanity. Selah, which of course is a, a pause to reflect on the scripture. Verse 6, surely... Every man walketh in a vain shoe. Uh, surely they are disquieted in vain. He heapeth up riches and knoweth not who shall gather them. So when David decides to speak here, he's, he's going to pray and say the, these things to, to the Lord. And the prayer he makes here, as I read this, I think he's praying for wisdom. Look at verse 4. Make me know mine end. Make me know uh, what my life has for me, where it's headed. And also, the main thing is how short it is. That's the, that's the truth of this section. Life is short, so we need to make sure we're living for eternity. Life is short. Make sure you're living for eternity. Isn't it silly that we spend so much effort on earthly things when this earthly life is so short compared with eternity? Isn't that kind of silly? But we do that, don't we? We spend... What do we do? Spend most of our day, every day, focused on the earthly things when eternity is going to be forever. And the earthly is going to be, you know, 100 years at most for, for most people. Life is short, live for eternal things. So if you look at that verse, these verses here, he talks about in verse 5 a hand breath, which was an, an, Israel way of, an Israelite way of measuring things. And uh, the best I can tell, it's only like a couple of inches. And it's, it's just saying that life is short. It's very brief. James said 
You remember what James said in the New Testament? Life is but a vapor. Life is but a vapor. It's a, it's a, a breath. It's, it's here and it's gone. And I think these are, these are good things to remind ourselves. I mean, David is a powerful man, right? A king, a warrior. And he's reminding himself in prayer, man, life is short. And, and here, as the song says, this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. It's, it's good reminders for us uh, tonight. Uh, one writer said this. This is by a man named Boyce. He said, he said, what David learns is, since life is short, the only real meaning of a man or woman's existence must be in his relationship to God, in his relationship to the Lord. I read a book years ago called Don't Waste Your Life. And I can't really tell you a lot about the book, but the title has always stuck with me. Don't waste your life. Are you living for the eternal? Verses 7 through 11 is our next section. He goes on here and he says, And now, Lord, what wait I for? And I love this little phrase. My hope is in thee. Deliver me from all that my transgressions. Make me not the reproach of the foolish. I was dumb. I opened not my mouth because thou didst it. Remove thy stroke away from me. I am consumed by the blow of thine hand. When thou with rebukes dost correct man for iniquity, thou makest his beauty to, to consume away like a moth. Surely every man is vanity. The third point I want to bring out tonight in this section here is our hope is in God. Our hope is in him. Spurgeon said on this verse, on verse 7, Spurgeon said, The psalmist steps off the sand and puts his feet on the rock. Happy is the man who can say to the Lord, My hope is in thee. That's good, isn't it? Just the picture of stepping off the shifting sand onto the rock of the Lord is an encouraging thought. Our hope is in him. We need to be like the Little League baseball player I read about. Uh, he was sitting in the dugout. This is a kid playing baseball. And this man walked up and he said, Hey, hey son, he said, what's the, what's the score? And the kid goes, well, we're behind 18 to nothing. And he's like, well, you must be discouraged. And the kid's like, no, nah, we haven't even batted yet. So our turn's still coming. He had hope when it seemed hopeless. We need to be like him and have some hope, um, even if it doesn't seem like there is hope sometimes in this world. Look, hope is only really effective or activated in our lives when we go through a hopeless situation. And I know, looking across this room, Every one of us have been in some type of situation that seemed hopeless, um, you know, in some way. And I hope we've all had that moment where, through the Lord, we have hope. We have hope in the moment of a hopeless situation. And, hey, the greatest example of that is when you're lost, when you don't know Jesus Christ. You're hopeless until he saves your soul uh, through, through repentance and faith. But he says here, my hope is in the tonight whatever you're going through um uh, we know this we can hope in him he will come through in one way or another for his people i also want to mention verse 8 to you because he does say here deliver me from all my transgressions um and by the way this psalm goes with the previous psalm psalm 38 and if you remember back to that psalm we talked about how 
David had apparently done something wrong, and the Lord was disciplining him. The Lord was correcting him. And uh, 39 goes very similar with that. And so David is still here in this, in this psalm, repenting, uh, understanding where his place is, understanding that um, as he hopes in God, he, he needs God's forgiveness um, so that he's not, a, again, a bad testimony for, for others. Um, sometimes when I get on my kids, I've had my kids, especially my boys, say like, you're just mean. <laughs> Your kids ever said that? Why do you get on to me? You're just mean or, you know. And, but that's not why we get on our kids, right? It's not because we're mean. Maybe it is sometimes, but, but we get on to them usually because we want them to learn to do right, right? Hey, you need to learn to do this or don't do this. And so you get on to them. You, you discipline, you correct them. And that's what God does. And that's what I think David has experienced here is God has been correcting him, but not to be mean. God's correcting him so that David might have this desire to turn back to God, to know God more, to hunger for righteousness. And I hope for any of us who go through some of that disciplining of the Lord, which he does, right? The Bible says in the New Testament, he chastens those whom he loves. So for his children, there are times where he may chasten us. Uh, And I believe that chastening is so that we might turn like David does here and look back to him and pray to him and ask for wisdom and help and guidance. Verse 12 and 13. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear unto my cry. Hold not thy peace at my tears, for I am a stranger with thee and a sojourner, as all my fathers were. O spare me, that I may recover strength before I go hence, and be no more. He concludes this prayer by just thinking about life and death. He's in tears, so he's in, he's in real pain about the situation in his life. We don't know exactly what it is, but he's in pain because of it. And he talks about being a sojourner or a stranger in the faith. Um, a stranger in, 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 like his fathers, he said. Um, and uh, my note here I put down was, you know, our faith never truly finds a home here, does it? We have faith. We ask God to give us more faith, to strengthen our faith. But someone once said this, our faith never finds a home on this side of the stars or on this side of eternity. Uh, but we know we need to continue to have faith. And David does that. We know through his life, through the, through the things that God disciplines him in, he has faith. So John Newton wrote a hymn. I want to read it to you. I don't know that I've ever sang this in church, but it's one of my favorite hymns to just read. And it goes with this. So listen, written a long time ago, so listen to these words. He says, I ask the Lord that I might grow in faith and love and every grace. Might more of his salvation know and seek more earnestly his face. So the first verse of that hymn, he says, I ask God to help me grow in faith, love, and grace. Listen to verse 2. "'Twas he who taught me thus to pray, and he I trust has answered prayer. But it has been in such a way as almost drove me to despair. So God answers this prayer, but not quite how John Newton, the hymn writer, wanted it. Verse 3, Instead of this, he made me feel 
the hidden evils of my heart and let the angry powers of hell assault my soul in every part. Yea, more with his own hand he seemed intent to aggravate my woe, crossed all the fair designs I schemed and laid me low. So here's the reason we don't sing it in church, right? It doesn't sound very exciting. It doesn't sound very hopeful. I asked God to help me and God has kind of brought me low. But look at the next verse. Lord, why is this? I trembling cried. Will thou pursue thy worm to death? Tis in this way the Lord replied, I answer for prayer for grace and faith. So here's the final verse, and this is God's answer to his prayer. These inward trials I employ from self and pride to set thee free and break thy schemes of earthly joy that thou mayest find thy all in me. That's a good hymn. It's a good truth that we might sometimes go through things like David where we're being corrected by the Lord, but God always does it with a, a good outcome. He always does it so that we might know him more. God might need to do something in your life and in my life to take away some selfishness or some pride. He might need to break some of our earthly joy that we might find more joy in eternal things. And I shouldn't say the word might. I think God does have to, for most people, break some of our earthly joys that our eternal joy might be more complete. Our attitude needs to be like um, Daniel's friends. I know that's Paul's favorite story, but remember the story? They're like, you know, they're about to be thrown into the, the fiery furnace. And they declared this, Nebuchadnezzar, we, and I'm going to paraphrase here, we don't even need to answer you in this. If this is the case, God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand. But even if he doesn't, let it be known to you that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. We need this attitude of, of hope and trust in God no matter what. Whether we're being corrected, whether we're being persecuted. We want to make sure if we go through pain, if we go through trial, if we go through disappointment, it's better to go through those things with God than without Him, isn't it? It's better to be disappointed with God than without Him. It's better to go through pain with Him than without Him. And David in Psalm 39 is a picture of a man who shows us how to work this out in our faith through prayer and hope. Let's pray.